You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Wednesday, March 15th, 2006. This is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society. With me here tonight are, we have a full boat of skeptical rogues tonight, Perry DeAngelis. Oh, hello, everybody. Evan Bernstein. Hi, everyone. Jay Novella. Well, hello, children. <laughs> and Bob Novella. <laughs> here. Welcome, everyone. Hey, hey Steve. what's Thanks up? Thanks for joining me. So today is the Ides of March, March 15th. Yes. And, of course, you guys all remember what happened famously on the Ides of March. March. This is when That's Caesar the, bit it. The, uh, yeah, t- uh, 2,050 years ago. That's right, 2,050 years, 44 B.C. That's right. Wow. That's right. And interestingly, I, re- I did come across an interesting story related to that called Caesar's Last Breath. Apparently, that has become a popular uh, topic in chemistry classes. The, the question is, what happened to all of the air molecules in, just to take an example, the last breath ex- exhaled by Caesar as he died. They're still around. They're, they're still around. That's right. So, first of all, there's, there's quite a lot of them. Uh, the, the estimate is about 0.3 times Avogadro's number, which is 10 to the 23rd power. So, 10 to the 23rd power, to 23-0, that's a lot. That's a big number. So, they actually... Um, you know, chemists have calculated what would happen with all those air molecules, and they actually would distribute themselves throughout the the world's atmosphere in a very predictable pattern. Uh, some of them will be um, taken up by plants during plant respiration, like some of the carbon dioxide molecules will be t- incorporated into plants. Some will dissolve in the world's waters, the world's oceans. Uh, but most of them are still floating around out there, pretty evenly distributed. The rough distribution is that if right now you take a deep breath, you will be breathing in, on average, one molecule that was in Caesar's last breath. At two. <laughs> so going with that logic, we would, we'll be breathing in one molecule that anyone that lived yes. a certain number of years before a certain time ever breathed in. That's right. Not only every person, but it. every breath of every person who's, who, who's lived in the past. Again, too far in the past and the air has been recycled too soon and it hasn't distributed. Uh, and then I don't know what those parameters are. But yeah, if you're for hundreds or to, to thousands, maybe even millions of years ago. That's, that is a really weird thought. Yeah, every time you take a breath, you're breathing in air that was in the lungs of every other person that's ever lived, basically. I'm making notes of this for my next Trivial Pursuit so about. There's no such thing as fresh air, then. <laughs> Depends on your definition, I guess. Yeah, but Steve, saying you're breathing in a molecule that somebody breathed is one thing, but saying you breathe a molecule that was someone's dying breath... But it's every breath. I, th- I think it's different. It's every breath, Bob. Every breath you've I mean, ever one, taken is a certain volume to one breath. The volume of air in that breath distributes itself into such a way that right now it's so it's so evenly distributed that pretty much every time you take a deep breath, you know one of those molecules from that breath is going to be in there. Expand your mind, Bob. From his, from his last, not everything he's ever breathed, but just that just last that one breath, breath. That, that one, one breath, lungs full of air. You got that? 
It's, bec- it's because, it. you know, are you? molecules are really small. You know, the Avogadro's number is huge, 10 to the 23rd. You've got to wrap your mind around that. Bob, are you a Caesar denier? I can't. <laughs> you are. I believe that you are. I didn't know this about you. So, Steve, the debate is that people don't believe it? What's no, no, the there's, there's no debate. It's just it's an interesting story of statistics and chemistry that you know, just hasn't playing off the whole Ides of March angle. It's not it. debatable. There's a few fringe Caesar deniers, but they're way <laughs> on the edge, Jay. They're way no, it's, it's, there's, there's, no, there's no controversy about this. This is just this is pretty basic textbook chemistry and physics, you know? It's very interesting. It's interesting. Think about that. It's, it's you know, what you what you get when you start dealing with such huge numbers, you know. But there really is something about it that creeps me out. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. It's creepy. I like it. I, like I it. don't like being in an airplane and sharing air with the, those people. Now, right. now you're saying I'm sharing air with the every you know with everyone who's ever lived. Yeah. Yes, and every festering corpse, and every animal that's ever lived. There you, you go. Know, basically, that's you know. Let's not talk about other things that emit from the body you might be sharing, Jay. That's true. Let's not. Well, I can't help that. That's, you know, I have a flatulence <laughs> well, problem. You not, don't have to broadcast well, it to the planet. To, I didn't. So we, we, we do need to investigate the, the chemistry of, of flatulence and calculate in every breath of air that you breathe in, maybe you're also breathing in the flatulence of every person that's ever lived. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, my <laughs> God. This is a, this is a new totally low. Ridiculous. That. I like you see you can't get information oh, like this anywhere else no, besides no, a skeptic's guide to the universe. Well, only that's here. Right. Even, it's only here. You know, I was going to say that, you know, Jay at any at any moment of your life there's billions of neutrinos coursing through your body, but that just pales in comparison to the flatulence kind of the fact that I'm breathing in every single fart that every <laughs> Emperor of Italy ever 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 farted it blows my mind. It's worse every emperor of France you would figure that right. we, we would be able to light the entire atmosphere up with one match. It's worse. You know? Well, let's segue somewhere else, shall we? Well, why don't we why don't we segue to the Buddha boy? Have you guys heard the update on the Buddha boy? I hear he's yeah, I, heard, I heard he went out on a bender. I heard he went out drinking and whoring. Well, he he skipped tree, as it were. Oh, good lord. He, so to update you guys, he's, this is the uh, for those audience members who may not have heard our previous discussions of this. This is a, a boy about 15 years old in. Uh, Nepal, who has been meditating under a tree, emulating Buddha, uh, and you know, according to reports, he has sat there for months without food and water, which of course is you know biologically impossible. Uh, and also, of course, he's not he observed in the evening. He sits behind a curtain. Now, the last time we brought up an update on on, on the Buddha boy, he was still under his tree, but witnesses said that he was starting to look a little little weak and dehydrated. And I speculated that maybe with all of the attention, the guy's basically surrounded by, you know, by observers. With all the attention he's getting, maybe it's not so easy to to sneak some food and water, and he might be feeling it. Well, now he decided to leave and go somewhere else, and uh, the people close to him say that it's because he he couldn't meditate with all the people around. It was just too disturbing. But maybe, maybe he just got hungry. He's he's hanging out with Bat Boy. You ever hear read about Bat Boy? Bat Boy. Oh God! Oh, no. oh, the one who hangs upside down forever. Yeah, the two of them met each other at a nightclub, and now they're hanging out. It's uh, Bat Boy came... never rose to the fame and prominence, though. Buddha Boy. No. Buddha Boy's much, you know, much, an, much more. Buddha Boy is an is an A level freak. Yeah, Bat Boy's only a B level right. freak. He's got the, the Buddha Boy's got the tinge of religion, you know. Bat Boy's got a comic book. 
Steve, I'm looking at his picture. I mean, he doesn't look too dehydrated or emaciated to me. Who knows when the picture was taken, Bob? Yeah, that's I mean, true. The, the, the first five or six months of no sustenance, you're fine. But you start rolling into the seventh <laughs> month, eighth month, you know, it, it starts to take a toll. Of uh, food, yeah, of water though. You're talking like a week. You know, you can you can't uh, go very right. long without water. Yeah, well, no. According to the properties no of the picture, of it looks kind. like it was snapped on February. You know, when you 12th. think about you think about the how important Buddha Boy has become, right? Like you know, people really are are uh, finding some religious satisfaction out of him existing. And the the fact is that Buddha Boy knows that he's full of it. Because he's sneaking food and he's lying about it, and the people that are surrounded that surround him help him do this, and they're a bunch of liars too. So the whole thing is based on a lie. Well, it's easy to rationalize a hundred different ways, you know. Pious fraud. Better right? man. It's it's. You know, it is, but it is a big scam. Anyway. Of course, it's a scam. But uh, you know, to his <laughs> what credit, he has stated, you know, I'm not Buddha. Uh, I don't yeah, want. Pe- I don't want people that's to That's just say the soft a... sell. I know. I yeah, know. that actually works to his advantage. People will be more willing to believe him if he's the reluctant god. You know. That's right. Yeah, and plus he's not the real Buddha boy. I am. I can channel Buddha at any moment I want to. <laughs> if you guys, whenever you want to talk to him, let me know. I got him. He's right here. I think... Yes, my friends, talk to me. I am here. <laughs> talk to me. You speak Indian. <laughs> oh, I can say anything you want. <laughs> You don't, you don't ahead, speak Indian, me. you just speak English with a cheesy Indian accent. No, no, I speak Indian. <laughs> I think if oh, people boy. saw photos of us, Jay, they would know that I'm the real Buddha. You <laughs> 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 would be an emaciated chump. Jay's channeling the spirit of Buddha while Perry yeah. channels the body of Buddha. <laughs> the physical body of Buddha. I'm a physical psychic. Jay is a mere mental psychic. Well, let, let's move on to the next news <laughs> item, which is... El Chupacabra. Oh, finally something serious. <laughs> Steve, isn't it La Chupacabra? I've always seen... Yeah, but you know what? You would think, but I've always seen El Chupacabra. Ah, look at that. I've seen El Chupacabra. Well, I don't know that, what that is. What is it? La You've seen it. What does it look like? What's El? It's La the masculine, but it ends in an A, so you would think it would be La. Ah. Whatever. I'm sure it whatever. So, um, there, was, there have been a rash of Chupacabra sightings in Texas. Now, Chupacabra is a Mexican-American... A kind of Hispanic American myth of a of a the goat sucking monster. Um, it basically is thought to um, suck the blood out of goats and other livestock. It's you know all, sometimes described as a cross between like a lizard and uh, and a wolf and a vampire bat or right. a vampire. And that's what it means actually, goat sucker. Doesn't yeah, chupacabra means goat sucker. Of course it does. So you know this is. Like Bigfoot and Yeti and the Loch Ness Monster, of course, there, there are sightings which are always either fleeting or in, in dubious circumstances or people of very questionable credibility, um, but never a piece of verifiable evidence. No biology. Well, well I've seen pictures, Steve, um, <laughs> and I, I, read an, I read an article about it, and it, I, apparently some people did find... This uh, basically it was a wolf that had this bizarre skin condition mm-hmm. that uh, that people you know when they saw it of course they they had never seen anything like that and they said look we you know we got chupacabra here and uh, I could see how you know people aren't very savvy with you know canine skin conditions um, could be misinterpreted as this 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 myth. What so did it look like, Bob? It 
it was bizarre. It just had this weird color and uh, missing a lot of hair. Yeah, and, uh, I saw that picture weird, too. Uh, well, if you go I've, to seen, a, I've seen other pictures that were clearly hoaxes, though. I mean, they were childish. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. If you go to lchupacooper.com, there's actually a, 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 <laughs> a film of him on the uh, on the homepage. He's just right. sort of looping over and over, swimming up to the edge. Very terrifying. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So either there, like Bob said, some some of the sightings may be based upon sightings of real carnivores. I mean, yeah, sure, there were you know wolves and stuff and coyotes out there. And if you have chupacabra on the brain and you see, you know, an animal that may look even vaguely like it, then you'll, especially if it's something there's something unusual about it, you'll uh, morph that with the legend of chupacabra. But you know, chupacabra existed before and outside of. You know that particular dog that you're referring to, Bob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. And the and this, this culture also has other um, monster legends too. There's a demon child, you know, legend like a, a a small imp that steals your kids in the middle of the night. So and again, and, and sightings tend to come in rashes, like everything else. You know, people hear about it and then they start they start seeing it all over the place. Um, but chupacabra is apparently stalking Texas. Um, I know you guys have all heard about Isaac Hayes. Now, Isaac Hayes is a uh, musician who has a, a very deep voice who plays the, the does the voice of the character Chef on South Park. Hello, children. Hello, children. Yeah, he's back. He's back. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he uh, now South Park, which is a, a wonderful cartoon, by the way, oh, yeah. is you know its its shtick is to be as completely irreverent as possible. I mean, the, the writers of South Park make ruthless fun of everything, and they have a very a very savvy sense of, of American culture and of you know human foibles and idiosyncrasies. I mean, they really do a great job of, of satirizing the stupidest things in uh, in American culture. In fact, some of the best skeptical uh, stuff that I've seen has been on uh, on South Park. They, they, oh, absolutely. The episode they did... John the, Edwards. John Edwards. Uh, John Edwards. Uh, it was, classic. in my opinion, the definitive critique of him. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was so well done. And they get, they, they get the skepticism right. I mean, they get it right. Those guys, are, they're, they're savvy. Oh, yeah. They mention cold reading and everything. Yeah. I mean, they, they really give it to you. Well, they, they did an episode this season, this last season, on Scientology, and they eviscerated Scientology, including... Oh, my God. Including Tom Hanks. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise and John Travolta. Sorry, Tom Hanks. Tom Cruise. We know you listen, We know you listen, Tom, so, uh, you know, continue to <laughs> listen to our And they, to our and they got it all right. All they did was they put did. their ridiculous beliefs up there. The, the volcano... The funniest thing about that episode was what they... The flashing sign that said they actually believed this. Yeah, they actually right. believe this is true. <laughs> it's true. Like, they didn't make oh, this up. Man. Now Isaac Hayes, who was happy to remain on the shows for the show for nine season nine seasons while the show made fun of Christians, Catholics, Jews, pretty much every other Mormons, religion. Mormons, everybody. Mormons and cashes checks, etc. Now suddenly he says that he, he can't stay on the show. Because they are insensitive to other people's religious beliefs. Um, of course, he means his own religious beliefs. What a boo! Right. What a hypocritical oh, boo! Totally hypocritical. I totally. mean, really, that, that's yes, outrageous. I mean, guys, here, here's a quote from that article. Um, that w- one of the best quotes in the article. 
Uh, it says here that he wa he wants a different standard for religions other than his own, and to me, that's where intolerance and bigotry begin, and that's uh, from Matt Stone, that's one of right. the creators right. of. Yeah. Uh, that's of exactly it. right. That just so says it. It says it right there. It's all there. It's okay to to you know be harshly critical of Catholics and Jews, but not Scientologists. He's going to you know quit in protest over that because that because he's you know in case it's not obvious, Isaac Hayes is a Scientologist. He should give back all the money he earned from that show. Right, really well, make his point. That that would show me something. <laughs> I, find, I find it very surprising that this whole thing took place. I mean, you would figure somewhere in his head he would be saying to himself, "I'm just going to let that one go by." But you know, probably what happened. Was that the church got on exactly. him? Exactly, he was probably pressured. Whoa, I agree. Jim. I didn't think of that. I agree. He was probably pressured. Yeah, that's probably right. The, the Church uh, of Scientology very is very aggressive at attacking yeah. its critics. Uh, in fact, that episode has not aired in England, and the speculation is because the uh, the um, the libel laws are much different in 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 England. Yeah, they're. It's a they're lot, the, the level of uh, of proof is a lot lower. Right. So there's there not not the writers, but I guess the uh, the lawyers, the, uh, the producers yeah. are are yeah. were gun shy about about airing it in England. Hey Bob, didn't didn't uh, didn't he actually de deny at one point that what they represented on the show was actually what Scientology is about? It hasted. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. He says they didn't get it right, and they should come to a couple of classes and learn what it's really about. But that's <laughs> yeah. nonsense. It, and the thing is, Hayes may not be at at a high enough level to really know the inner beliefs. You know what what was shown on South Park was what was leaked on the internet. It was like the secret, real, true beliefs of Scientologists. But you don't get to actually learn that stuff until you're at the most inner circle, the highest levels. Yeah, until yeah, you're well, in them for three hundred grand. Right. Yeah, that's right, right. Or five million dollars or whatever it is. Um, so Hayes, you know, the, the celebrities that the Scientologists recruit, they get the the, uh, the kick love treatment. You know, they get the red carpet, and you know, they they, they might not not necessarily, you know, be privy to the real core nonsense. You know that uh, that the Scientologists believe. But it's all the other nonsense. thing is, it's all it's, it's ridiculous. A, yeah, it's well, what's interesting science is science mean, it's, fiction. It's, it's a science fiction cult that's. Evolving into a religion, you know, over the course of our lifetime, basically is what we're seeing. It's just so ironic that uh, of all the the TV shows that exist out there, that this it was this TV show, the most irreverent TV show, that just over and over and over again did he have a million times where he he would have quit that show if he could have. Right. And the fact that you know he. Uh, he, I think I read, I read something along the lines of he didn't even show up to the taping of that show, or like he did, you know he was he out was... sick or something. But you know. yeah, yeah, sick. The other, the last point I was going to make about this is that you know the other really irreverent show on television these days is Penn and Teller's bullshit on Showtime, and Showtime has not allowed them to do a show about Scientology. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So 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 far the guys at South Park are the only ones who were unafraid to take them on. You know, full court press. Kudos to that episode. The, uh, I remember, you know, the, the character on the show, one of the kids, yeah. was saying to 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 the Scientologists, "Go ahead and sue me." You know, basically, <laughs> it was it, it was the the writers telling the, the Church of Scientology, "If, if you want to sue us, go right ahead in your face." I mean, they were yep. they were fearless, fearless in their criticism. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, in my opinion, if Showtime really did that. 
You're kidding me. It's it's they're they're yeah, but it's disgusting. They would just come back and tell you it's dollars and cents, Jay. That's all. Right. How, how much revenue? How much revenue does the show bring in based on how much of a threat is the lawsuit? Based on past success, it's all you know. Bottom line. You got to give your kudos to the uh, to the comedy net to comedy channel, right? Uh, yeah. For uh, for not for allowing it to happen, right? Uh, good good for them. Whoever is in charge of that, and uh, unfortunately, you know, you know, I'll bet you South Park brings in a lot more revenue than bullshit. They're both great shows, but I bet it does. Oh, that's true. I bet it does. South Park just got signed up for two more years. I mean, highly successful show. Of course. Have you guys heard about the hand walkers? (laughs) Yeah. Recent ones. Now this is this uh, a uh, medical paper was published recently describing a family. um, We talked about a little. That has a a host of um, neurological. Deficits, you know, most dramatically is they walk on all fours, on feet and palms of their hands. They also um, are have some degree of mental retardation, so they're they're cognitively uh, delayed, and they speak a simple and you know guttural language. Uh, now the the scientist who who initially uh, you know presented this family to, to the world is claiming that. They represent backward evolution. In other words, um, a mutation that represents the reversal of a previous mutation, and that these that this family has actually reverted to a more you know phylogenetically primitive state. Sometime you know, you know uh, essentially re- um, uh, imitating a, a state earlier in a revolution. That's impossible, right? So <laughs> I mean, is that's that possible. That's been met with uh, a great deal of uh, of skepticism. You know, not not the deficit that the family has, but the interpretation that this is reverse evolution. Now, I I think that that's you know speculative, almost to the point of being absurd. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it just a genetic disorder, Steve? I mean, it's oh, it's, cl- it's clearly a genetic disorder. I think um, Occam's razor would have sliced that right off the top. Yeah, but it's <laughs> devolution. Devolution. The thing is, uh, the evolution of bipedality is was a complicated event that required many, many, many mutations. I mean, this many genetic changes. It would be very unlikely for any single mutation to cause a reversal in you know all the things that led to to bipedality. The same thing, actually, you know, the, the evolution of our in, you know, greatly enhanced intelligence was actually a far simpler thing to achieve genetically. Uh, but even that also involved many genes. So uh, it's, it's a lot simpler to hypothesize that this is just a neurological disorder that results in a gait disorder and decreased intelligence, uh, which is just much simpler to achieve than just than actually reversing the course of evolution. So it's, it's actually kind of a silly suggestion. Of course, you know? Steve, can, can they can they stand upright or can they walk? A couple if of they them even can. tried. A couple of I them mean, can, according to the article, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, there's I think what we call variable penetrance. In other words, not every family member is affected to the same degree. But basically, they walk on all fours. I don't know if they're. I mean, I I, I haven't read a detailed 
neurological exam with them. I don't know if they're totally inca- what, what would happen if they tried to walk on two legs. Steve, what about the uh, that African tribe? You know where I'm going. The uh, the people that have like the the bird feet. They have two. Their feet look like um, a bird's foot. Where there's like two main big toes and like one. What, like an and with a heel, so it looks like a normal foot on the bottom, but then it branches off into like two big toes. I know. You never seen those people? No. no, I haven't seen that. Neither have I. I can send you uh, a link to to a video clip of them, but basically it's just the same. Reminds me very much of this story that we're talking about. These yeah. people have a genetic disorder, and everybody, every single person in the family has this to a varying degree, and uh, they said it was from inbreeding. Right. But yeah, are you saying that we evolved from birds? Yeah, I mean that would be the equivalent of saying that that that, that mutation, right. which leads to basically having two big fused toes in the front of the foot, was just a, a morphological abnormality, basically a, f- a failure of the toes to divide in development. You know, the the, um, the digits partly formed by the cells between them dying off and then you know what I mean so that the basically you would have skin between every finger except those in development those cells die off and if that fails to occur then you have end up with fused digits so that that's a very common actually kind of developmental dif- uh, problem uh, yeah I knew I knew somebody that had that right so that but that but to suggest that that somehow would represent that in like an right. earlier evolutionary stage, we had two toes, or you know, is, is silly. Now there are examples in in the in the animal kingdom of genuine reverse evolution. I mean, that concept is is not new. For example, occasionally a, a horse is born that has more than one toe. You know, the, the hoof of a horse is basically one one big and large toe, and the other four toes, uh, because the animals that that horses evolved from had five toes. The other four basically became smaller throughout the course of evolution and and don't develop. But the genes for them are still there. And there it just takes one mutation for a horse to be born with three toes. You know, two of the smaller toes would, would develop. So there, when you have a single mutation that made a specific change, especially if it's a regulatory gene, a gene that basically turns on the development of an entire Suite, suite of, genes, of things, yeah. like an entire limb, for example, or um, the, that would control the number of toes. Just that one reverse mutation could then revert back to an, an earlier stage in evolution. So that that, hap- that does happen quite frequently. Well, uh, Steve, I can also imagine another way that that would happen. Um, instead of you know not necessarily requiring a mutation, but I mean, if your environment changes back to um, you know to an, in a way so that it, it duplicates the environment as it was. You know, a long time ago, or say you migrate somewhere and uh, you enter, you know, you encroach on an environment where the, you know, the environment is very similar to to what it was as you were evolving. Then the selective pressure could kind of like push you back to adapt to that environment again. Right. And that would be another. That would be another type of of backward evolution in a sense. Yeah, that's true. And the difference for what you're talking about is that so there, there may be populations of animals where the vast majority of them have one allele, one, one type of gene that, uh, that expresses a certain characteristic, what we call a phenotype. But the, 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 and that represents the, the average member of that species because it's, it's adapted to their current environment. And if, if, they, if they change their environment or the environment changes, that this small minority of the population that has 
another allele with a different characteristic that's better adapted to the new environment, they may become the dominant you know, uh, allele in the species. And that's just population genetics, which is a lot of, you know, what occurs in evolution. In fact, uh, Stephen Jay Gould wrote an excellent essay about that. Now, his, uh, Gould's specialty was snails. I mean, that's what he was a specialist. Outside of his um, popularizing of, of science and evolution, you know, his technical specialty was in snails. And he identified species of snails where that happened all the time, where basically... Um, the the different coilings of their shells, what one was better adapted to some kind of environment. I think it had to do with how windy the environment was. Another type of shell was adapted to a different kind of environment. And as they migrate from island to island or whatever, from area to area, um, the whatever form of of the the shell was better adapted would be the one that became dominant there. Uh, and also the the same kind of thing you could see over evolutionary time that the same um, changes in morphology would occur and reoccur and reoccur and reoccur over evolutionary time uh, and then reverse themselves again as, again, the, the local environment changed. So, well, that, that must have taken quite some time for a snail to migrate to another island. Uh, maybe they just drift on wood or something. You know, that's some quicker <laughs> ways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so, th- so this, th- the bottom line of all this is that this is a legitimate concept, but it usually only applies to much simpler you know, genetic systems, not to something as complicated as bipedal gait. So I, I don't think that that, right. that theory is going to pan out with this family. But let, let's move on to the um, uh, another item that, that caught my attention this week. Do you guys remember the movie that was put out a few years ago called What the Bleep Do We Know? Yeah, yeah. Now, this was produced by... The uh, occult, actually, this is the the cult of Ramtha. Now, Ramtha is Jay Z Knight, who is a, a woman who lives in California, who claims to channel the spirit of a thirty five thousand year old Neanderthal called Ramtha. She's a total scam artist. I mean, this is, is the, the uh, channeling is um, an old scam. This is this is basically the the spiritualism, the mediumship of a hundred to two hundred years ago. Except uh, modern channelers figured out that if they just leave out the physical manifestations, you know, like the floating trumpets and the rapping noises, if they just leave that out, then there's no way they can get caught, right? There's nothing to catch. Um, all they do is say, oh, yes, I'm channeling the spirit of this person, and then that's it. It's the, the, the truth uh, or the hoax of it lies only in their mind. You know, there's there's no physical manifestations to test. Well, usually you have to have a, another a good voice. You know, dang, no, you don't. indeed, or something. <laughs> not, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not a cheesy, cheesy stereotypical yeah. accent. <laughs> right, and if, in fact, you know, it's, I don't know if it's a coincidence or if you guys were thinking of this, but Evan and I investigated a local channeler, very much in the tradition of Jay-Z Knight and Ramtha. Again, it's amazing how you know, I guess spirits were channeling one way a hundred years ago, and now they're all channeling a different way in this generation. So either it's culture, or it's or the the spirits have all decided to start spontaneously changing what they do. Um, but anyway, so this this woman was channeling a a, a Nepalese spirit, only about I think what she about seven hundred and fifty years old, called yeah, called Dahartma. Dahartma. Now. <laughs> The funny thing about this, I mean, this was so pathetic, is that, again, she goes into her little pretend trance, 
and then she speaks. She spoke in an absolutely cheesy Indian. You know, I guess it's also Nepalese accent. Worse yeah. than mine, Steve. Worse than yours, Jay. I mean, she wasn't that even that good an actress. And you know, during and Evan and I were you know were were interviewing her while she was channeling it, and we asked Deharpa if she could speak Nepalese, and she can't. And I was fully expecting her to actually speak. <laughs> You know that the local tongue, whatever I don't know if you call it Nepalese or not, but whatever you call it, to speak the local dialect, uh, and she doesn't even speak it. It's like, well, then how come you know how to speak English? She said, oh, that language she got from the person who's channeling her. It's like, oh, then why are you speaking in a cheesy accent? <laughs> why would the accent carry over but not the language? And Shut although, up. Do not, do not be ask stupid me with reason do and logic. <laughs> Only those of the seventh circle of some nonsense can understand. The seventh dimension of love. Or you something. do not uh, talk when I talk. Only I talk when I talk. <laughs> it's a, that's what it was like. Only worse. <laughs> Only worse. Shouldn't you know when you go when you go to scam school? Shouldn't they teach you how to do a good accent? I mean, but Bob, Bob, isn't that a Bob, cool don't have buy to. It. Yeah. You the don't have buy to. It. The people around her totally bought it. Oh, didn't they though? There were four uh, other people there. Her they, little posse, her flock, her rogues, as it they were. They really believed and her. They, they oh, totally they absolutely it. did. Now she did Everything. speak. She did speak one word. She did. She did say Namaste. <laughs> Which is the joke was? It's like that's like saying you know I'm channeling the spirit of King Kamehameha, but all I know how to do is say Aloha and speak in a cheesy Hawaiian. <laughs> but that, that's, that was the equivalent. Aloha. <laughs> I'm King Kamehameha. Can you speak anything else of your native tongue? <laughs> no, yeah, no, Steve. <laughs> oh my goodness. Are you sure you're channeling King Kamehameha or Don Ho? <laughs> or Don Ho? I mean, ridiculous. ridiculous. It is. So anyway, so Jay-Z Knight, who's made millions of dollars with this. Yo, I'm down with Jay-Z. Oh, Jay-Z. <laughs> no, no, Sorry. no, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> not that one. Um, her her people produced an actual a pretty slick <laughs> movie a few years ago called What the What the Bleep Do We Know, which basically is a complete bastardization of quantum mechanics and and using uh, a very you know fuzzy understanding of quantum uh, of quantum theory and quantum physics to try to argue that you know we make our own realities and there is no reality and it's all a product of consciousness and it's you know all the feel good new agey spirit crap right but wildly, I hate that. wildly successful within those circles, especially of course. in uh, on the West Coast, you know, where these kinds of you, sensibilities. If can, yeah. If I could make my own reality, it would be very different. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. I sure but as Bob, hell wouldn't be wasting my time here with you, idiots. That's because right. you don't believe. You're locked into this reality because uh, you don't accept the truth, and you haven't given millions of dollars to J.C. Knight. Who has <laughs> anyone read? This is this is kind of related, Steve. Has anyone read? Uh, Vani Fucci is alive and well and living in hell. No, I did not. It's a great, great short story about this guy that that appears on a religious talk show. He just shows up at at a nowhere. Nobody knows where he came from, and it turns out his name is Vani Fucci, and he's been living in hell for 800 years, and he basically just goes to town on these uh, these religious hypocrites. But uh, it's funny they threw a little quantum mechanics in the art in the story, and I loved it. They said that uh, you know in 1981, Elaine Ospek did did uh, quantum mechanics 
um, experiment with a photon of light, showing showing how uh, you know how they you know the photons are entangled and stuff. And, and it showed he he claimed that it showed that that the mind creates reality, which mm-hmm. is kind of exactly what what the, you know th- this kind of stuff is talking about. And um, and uh, it said that the the modern concept concept of hell was created by uh, Dante Alighieri in his in his comedy, and uh, because. Because so many people believed it, it actually did become it did become real. And that his whole shtick was that if more the the more people believe in it, the more real it becomes. Right, so that if, right. if if all of you know all of society believes it, then it's real. And that's why you know uh, hell, as he described it in his book, uh, existed. And it was just a, it was such. I recommend that short story. Yeah, to I mean anybody. it's good fiction, but of course the history of science completely disproves such notions. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. Science has been a process of discovering that what everyone believes is not true. If what everyone believed made it so, then there would be an ether, and the world would look like whatever medieval people thought it right, was supposed to look right. like. Right, and, right. And quantum mechanics is such a great target because it's so counterintuitive, and it's so unlike you know, uh, you know, other sciences that it's just easy for people to latch onto it and say, see, science supports this crazy idea. But for the record, the, the, the core misunderstanding in you know, what the bleep do we know and, and the, the quantum quackery that we encounter is that um, the consciousness does not make reality. The idea that you know that the quantum level matter exists as a probability wave, and that when we uh, quote unquote observe it, that it collapses and takes has to choose one form, and that therefore the observer is making it happen. But that's a really right. a misconception. It's well, that not, was an initial. That was an initial interpretation that pretty much nobody nobody really believes anymore. And no, now, no. You know, I mean, it's not other the act ways of observing. To, it's the fact that when you observe, you're doing something to it. Right. And I, I, and it's an interaction with the environment. Decoherence. Right. Decoherence. It's called. And in fact, you know, w- one physicist, you know, trying to counter this, said that the um, the quantum you know, probability waveform is so fragile that even the slightest interaction with its environment will force it to collapse and choose one state. Right. So it's just that it's extremely, you can't observe it. There's nothing you could do to it to observe it that won't force it to collapse because it's so fragile. And of course, it's that fragility which completely counteracts or, or contradicts all of the quantum quackery out there because. Um, Basically, we don't live in a quantum world. We live in a, in a physical, you know, mechanistic world. It's a only it's world. only at this very fragile, you know, uh, level of uh, of uh, particles, you know, subatomic particles that are not interacting with anything, where this quantum fuzziness occurs. Um, not not in the macroscopic world that we occupy or inhabit. But anyway, I bring this up because they're coming out with a sequel. What the bleep? Down the rabbit hole, which is just more quantum quackery from from Jay Z Knight and her loony followers. Jay Z, yeah, she not have she enough millions? Of, What's the problem? She, yeah. she must be running out or something. Yeah, I don't, hey, I don't think I could bring myself guys, to watch that. When you when you find something that works, you know, they of course she's doing it again. Yeah. Oh, it's no surprise. That's for sure. 
we we had one email this week. Um, only one. Only one. We get you know between yeah. one and three or so a week. By Come the on, way, people, email email us. We want to hear your feedback, yes. both good and bad. So and make voicemail. sure you email. We want, us. we want to hear your voice. No one yeah. yet has sent us a voice, but we will play you on our podcast. If you uh, include your cheesy Nepalese accent, if you want, <laughs> we'd like we'd really like to hear. Don't you. hesitate to send your nude pictures to uh, to Jay. I'll uh, I'll examine them and pick the ones that will will go up on the website. Steve, I got a, I got a few emails as well. We'll uh, we'll go over them for next week's oh, podcast. Oh, Bobby, you're holding out on me. You're not yeah, sending. Yeah, I know. All right, so um. <laughs> apparently we got e- more emails than I'm aware of that Bob is holding out. What? But in any case, just just for disclosure, now all the emails that I've seen, I've read on the show so far. So I'm not hand picking these. And I've actually been a little surprised that every email so far that I've received has been very very positive. No critical emails. Which is different than like when we publish articles on our website. I usually get about eighty percent critical. Uh, the website, the the uh, podcast rather, so far has been a hundred percent positive. So I guess you know non skeptics are not bothering to download and listen to our podcast, which is just fine. But I'm still waiting to hear. So if anyone out there is not a skeptic, and you and you want to criticize anything that we have to say, let us have it. We want to hear from you, too. Absolutely. Be happy to, to discuss your thoughts. Or read your, we will read your emails on our podcast. Uh, but this is another positive one. This comes from Julio Mendez from Miramar, Florida. Julio writes, I just wanted to say thanks for providing a unique and insightful show that strengthens my beliefs and disbeliefs about our universe, not to mention my skeptical toolkit. He goes on to say that he's a 25-year-old, and he's 25 years old and works as an IT administrator for an engineering firm. He And then he says some more stuff, but then goes on to, he asks a, a question, what do you guys think about the latest discovery of the Saturnian moon Enceladus? They now have significant evidence of towering geysers of water shooting out water vapor and ice 265 miles out into space. That's pretty crazy. Could this be the door leading to the holy grail of science? Where there is water, shouldn't there be life that re- that requires it? Your thoughts. Thanks again, Julio Mendez. Well, thank you, Julio. Thank you, Julio. Yeah, we talked a little about. Yeah, we did talk about this a little bit last week. Uh, in fact, Rebecca, who was on our show last week, brought it up. And what he says is true. I did look at the uh, the astronomy sites and the NASA sites to get some update, uh, and they definitely confirmed that these are water molecules that are shooting out from the south pole of Enceladus. And here's the new bit that I picked up from from I think it was just published either yesterday or today, that they now have confirmed that the material from these geysers are actually what produces the E-ring around Saturn, which is Saturn's biggest ring. Saturn's, you know, the rings of Saturn are actually many, many identifiable rings. And the the ring that has been designated as the E-ring, which is one of the bigger ones, I think it's the biggest one, is actually continuously being replenished by material from Enceladus that's shooting out. Remarkable. Um, I'd, I'd think it'd be the F-ring, but okay, I'll go with that. Steve, do we know why uh, it's shooting the water out like that? Uh, it's just because it's being heated from inside, probably because of tidal forces. And then that, that heated water is, gets under pressure and then shoots out like I'm a I'm not geyser. much of an astronomer, but I thought everything was frozen out that far. Well, it, once it goes out, it freezes, so you have these little crystals yeah. of ice surra- you know, floating around in the ring. The other thing that happens is that once it shoots up, it rains snow down onto Enceladus, and Enceladus is completely covered with snow and is very, very white for that very reason. Mm. Mm. How, how big is that moon? You it's think, a, it's uh, small, actually. It's kind of small. Well, you think, you think it'd go into orbit or out or beyond the orbit of, of the uh, the moon. If it's, if it's a tiny moon and it's squirting out 265 miles, you think 
it reach orbital velocity, but I don't know how. how but big it's the good, moon but it's really getting is. caught in the orbit of Saturn. Right, and Saturn's it's raining back sinking. down on the moon. Well, some of it is coming some back down it. on the right. moon. Right, okay, that makes, know, yeah, that makes more the sense. The outer fringe that are not going as far, but the, mo- the main spray, you know, with the, you could imagine a spray where it's not all right. a discrete stream. It's getting, they're probably different velocities at different parts of it, and the, the slower ones rain down, the faster ones do escape, and then become the ring of Saturn. Jay, you well, were saying? Yeah, Steve, Julio asked at the end of his email, he said, where there is water, shouldn't there be life that requires it? I, yeah, that's I, right. What do you think I think about he's that? got it backwards. I think it's got a, uh, he's got a little backwards, though. I mean, it, life as we know it, I think, probably requires water, but not the other way around. Yeah, where there's life, there's water. But I, mean, I guess what he's saying is there's at least a possibility of life. If there's oh, absolutely. Water. And it's absolutely. certainly, it, it makes Enceladus a much higher priority place for us to investigate. Although, my thinking is, though, if the water is... Constantly shooting out in a geyser, you know, would that make it difficult for life to get a foothold? Or are there reservoirs of water in underneath the surface of Enceladus that are relatively stable over millions of years? You know, they're not at risk for just shooting out into space. Um, I guess there must be because there's, you know, there's still water under there, so there's got to be a right. pretty big reservoir. And I can't wait till we get to one of those moons and. Check see if there's any some you know some sort of bacterial life. Europa, I, know, God, that I think would be Europa so awesome. is still the best chance. Yeah, imagine there are but oceans y- of water under Europa and just that's, yeah, that's gonna be tough though. I mean, they're, they're talking what? How many miles of ice would we have to bore through? It's doable, but it's uh, worth man, it. it's yo, absolutely, I agree. Imagine the boon to science if we found life. Oh on my God, planet. we should just uh, hit it with a nuke. You know, crack it open, right? <laughs> And destroy whatever's down yeah. there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Ima- of course. I know. I know. Imagine hey, if the DNA was just like ours. Hey, you know that's you know just just that question alone. Does it have DNA? Right. And and right. what would be the similarities and differences? I ET mean, that, had DNA. How do you know that, Jay? The, from the movie ET. Yeah, how do you yeah, know he had DNA? <laughs> the guy they came running in. And he has DNA. It was a you know. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. They said it on the movie. Oh, I forgot. And what if it had like a triple helix instead of a double yeah, helix? Instead of a double helix. Imagine what kind of kung fu it can do then. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, let's move on to science or fiction. Yay! Yay. <laughs> it's time for science or fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts, two genuine, one fictitious. And I challenge my skeptical rogues to tell me which one is the fake. The theme for this week, kind of playing off the Enceladus email, is astronomy. So I have three recent astronomical discoveries, and you guys have to tell me which one is fake. You ready? Okay. Ready. Ready. No comments until I name all three of them. Unless your name's Evan. Right. Thank you. Item number one. Astronomers have discovered a nebula near the Milky Way's center in the shape of an elongated double helix. And in fact, it looks like a little long string of DNA. Number two. Recent studies of distant galaxies has revealed that young galaxies have far less dark matter. In other other words, the ratio of dark matter to stars is much smaller than in galaxies today. Astronomically, that means galaxies which are closer to us. Because as you look, you know, 
far away looking back in time, right? Uh, this suggests that dark matter is increasing, and if you extrapolate this out, dark matter will eventually take over the universe. Well, wait, oh, I got a question on that. No comments, okay. no comments. Uh, we'll get to you. Item number three, astronomers have developed a technique allowing them to view the far side of the sun. <laughs> Okay, so number number one is we've discovered a nebula near the center of our galaxy shaped in an elongated double helix. Number two, studies have shown that dark matter is increasing in the universe and will eventually take over the universe. And item number three, that astronomers have developed a technique allowing them to view the far side of the sun. Jay, why don't we start with you? Uh, I definitely think it's number three. I've heard of I've heard of number one the double helix. I I think I remember re- reading about that, so I'm just going to say that that exists. Uh, number two, uh, number two kind of makes sense to me, uh, but number three I, it makes absolutely no no sense at all to me. I can't imagine how they would they can view the the side of the sun that isn't facing us. Ah, the argument from personal incredulity. Good, excellent. Perry. Well, excellent. it's not like I'm saying I'm right. I, these are guesses, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve, n- not a bad reason to uh, for a game like this. <laughs> like, didn't I remember Bob telling me? Okay, I'll go next. Wait, one more thing I want to say. I remember Hair Bob Christ. telling me that oh, the, the, it takes a million years for the light Somebody to actually leave him. the sun once it's generated. All right, right, Bob. All right, interesting yep. fact from the core. Right, move on. Yeah. It's it's, uh, it's bounce it's bouncing around for a long time before it actually exits. Okay, so it's a, number three. It's a neutrinos. Uh, Number three, we can't see the far side of the sun. Perry? <coughs> Is it my turn? <laughs> it's, it's your yeah, turn. All right. Uh, the first one sounds perfectly reasonable. Uh, the, third one's, the third one sounds odd. The, uh, to believe the second one, however, would be uh, would throw me into a downward spiral of hopelessness. And <laughs> <laughs> I probably couldn't withdraw myself out. Because you're such uh, a cheery guy to begin that, with, that, Perry, that, right? That one simply has to be, uh, the second one has to be fake. Good, so the argument from Final Consequences. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Evan. Love it. I'll do the argument from authority. Okay. Uh, <laughs> being a novice astronomer myself, I can conclude uh, that I'll agree with Perry. I've, I'll think that uh, number two is the false one, uh, simply because... Um, I know so little about dark matter. Okay. <laughs> that, the argument that, from ignorance. <laughs> yeah, okay, argument from ignorance. Uh, <laughs> you wanted authority, you ended up with ignorance. <laughs> that really, I mean, I, I I don't have a clue at all about number two, and um, whereas the well, other I'll give two... You, I'll give you a little bit of background. You know, we, we know by observing galaxies that there has got to be a lot more matter in them than we can see. There's a lot more stuff producing gravity than is what's, ge- than what's right. generating light that we can see. Otherwise, the, the, the orbital speed of the, uh, the stars that are you know, in orbit around the center would, would fly apart because right. they're just going too fast to be they, either, they should be moving slower or they would be you know, flying away from the center of the galaxy. So there's, there's more gravity holding them in place than what we can see. That's been called dark matter. And in why fact, is dark, why is dark matter more plausible than invisible alien civilizations? It's just a hypothesis. You can hypothesize okay. your invisible it's the alien civilizations too. The, okay. The, the, right. In fact, most of the universe, actually the, the most 
common thing in the universe is dark energy, right. which we I won't get into right now. But but dark it's, dark matter does vastly outnumber dark, what we can see. Most of the universe is invisible to us. What we can see is only like what is it, about ten percent of what of, the, of what's actually out I, there. I think it's even less than that. Less than ten. It's similar. Yeah, a little less than ten. I think dark matter is not to be confused with black holes. Yeah, well, I was going to ask if dark matter was influenced no. by black holes. No, because black holes, even though they're by definition invisible, they're detectable. But dark matter so far is not – we don't know what it is. We can't detect it yet. We're not sure what it is. I mean, Very good. I'll, to I'll me, stop. to my mind – excuse me. To my mind, it sounds like the old theory of the ether. Well, it, well it's different now because we, we know something is out there. We just don't know what it there. is. Something's okay. there. I mean, there's an effect. There's an effect, and we're just trying to, to figure out what Steve, the cause is. Steve, could you consider so, dark chocolate dark matter? <laughs> can can no. you see it? No, but I can eat that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if I close my eyes, I can't see it. Guys, I, I subscribe to Douglas Adams' interpretation of dark matter. It's, it's all the packing material in the boxes of scientific instruments that astronomers use to find out about dark matter. <laughs> it's entirely but, um, possible. Yeah, it turned out it was the only packing <laughs> material. Well, I mean, this just this just reinforces my decision that B is, uh, of course, incorrect. Okay, it must be. so you don't think dark matter is taking over the universe? That's correct. N- not by a long shot. How about that? I'll go. Okay. I'll go out on a limb. The argument from authoritative ignorance. Thank you, <laughs> Bob. Let me hear it. Oh, okay. Um, the nebula, double helix nebula, sounds totally plausible, and for that reason alone, might be a good reason to pick. Um, but I'm not going to pick that one. It's a bit too um, plausible. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, uh, the far side of the sun, at, at first I was thinking, well, how the hell are you going to do that? But I could imagine that somehow you could somehow peer through, what is the, uh, was it the photosphere of the sun? So kind of, you know, kind of gl- look at the sun, kind of edge on and go through the upper atmosphere and you can maybe go through the sun and see what's going on on the other side. Maybe you could see what kind of sunspot activity is going on or something. So it's, I could, it seems feasible that you could actually kind of see through the sun and image the other side. The Let's see, Young... Now, Steve, I, your description of number two, I don't know, didn't make much sense to me. Bob, because the, the, s- the galaxies are farther away, therefore they're, in, they're back in time. Uh, right? I, un- I understand that. Yeah, I absolutely understand that. Therefore they're younger, right? Young galaxies. But, well, I mean, it could be... It could be we could be looking at a galaxy as it was 10 billion years ago, right. but at that time, it could have been a young galaxy. Right. I- equivalent in age to a galaxy that's only, you know, a million light years away. So age, I don't see how the age is a, that important of a factor because age isn't necessarily negated by, by distance. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? But in general, as you go back in time, galaxies get younger. You know, and in fact, I'll give you the. It was six billion years ago. If you look at six billion year, six billion years ago, galaxies at that time had much less dark matter than galaxies than say our galaxy does now, suggesting that dark matter has been increasing over the last six billion years. So you got to pick one, Bob. I know. There's, There's people in Florida that are waiting for the answer right now. Okay. Um. I'll go with two. That just doesn't sound right to me. The dark matter. So I stand okay. alone. Jay stands alone. Uh, we got three picks for dark matter taking over the universe. Jay doesn't think we could see the far side of the sun, and everyone liked the double helix thing. So let's. I like that. It has to do with life. It's very positive. Let's very start. Optimistic. Let's start with the double helix nebula. 
that is in fact true. That is science. Yeah. You guys all got that one right. The uh, the nebula. This was just published in the March the March 16th issue of Nature. Um, the observation of the nebula. The hypothesis is that you know the center of our galaxy. There's a huge black hole. As is the center of every galaxy. Well, that's a lot that's of them. Probably, probably true, a lot of them. Of them. And and the the center of our galaxy also has an enormous magnetic field. Huge. Basically, what they think is happening is that the nebula is kind of like tethered to the magnetic field, and as it rotates around the center of the galaxy, ah, it, twists, it twists it up like a like, cool. like when you wind up a rubber band, it takes on a double helix structure. Mm-hmm. So that's what they think is happening with that. Cool. Now, Jay, yeah. you. Uh, you don't think that we could see on the far side of the sun, but the other three of you do. So do any of the other three of you have any idea how we might be able to see on the far side of the sun? Um, yeah, we use the reflective surfaces off of other planets and other objects. Incorrect. To, uh, no, to see what's so, somehow we're imaging through the sun and seeing the, and seeing the other side. Kind of. We are using a technique called acoustic helioseismology. Uh, yes. I knew that. <laughs> Bob, you actually recognize Yes. That Come Sound, on. yes. The the, the sun right. is ringing like the sun is ringing like a bell, and they determine that through this acoustic uh, helioseismology. I hate you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Suck. So I was the the, the 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 actual what they're actually doing. So that's correct. But they're also you know there are bubbles of solar gas, and these bubbles you know percolate to the surface of the sun, and they they actually make noise when they do that. And you can you can use the noise that's basically spreading throughout the sun, and um, you can use that just like a physician uses a Doppler to image a fetus in the womb, right? You can use the noise in the space. Yeah, that's yeah, huh? yeah. Well, but well, really? through the very thin you know matter, you know matter space is not a perfect vacuum. Remember. Well, there's also the solar um, wind that I'm sure is being affected. Right, right. That's most of the matter in our solar system is basically the solar wind. In the you know in the space, um, so in any case, there, you can use the sound produced by the the sun's farts. Basically, it's the bubbles of gas percolating <laughs> to the surface, like a Doppler scan, and it can they figured out how to use that to not only image deep within the sun, but to image all the way to the other side. Now, the purpose of that is to see sunspots on the other side, so that we can predict when they're going to rotate. You know, to to the near side of the sun and disrupt communications or whatever, produce produce solar weather. So this is a way of predicting solar weather because we actually see it coming around. Now the sun takes about uh, 27 days to rotate around. So basically, we could see you know 13 days uh, into the uh, into the future. Now, so number so number three is also science. Number two is fiction. Uh, you guys are correct. Now. But I, I basically took a genuine report and then just changed the, what was actually found. Of course. Um, recent investigations have, in fact, shown that when we examine young galaxies, galaxies in the past, specifically six billion years ago, they have the exact same ratio of dark matter that we do today. So the the rate this ratio of dark matter is actually stable over very long periods of of time, and that this is very informative, apparently, to to cosmologists about the relationship between matter and dark matter, and that, in fact, they must be interacting with each other a lot more than was previously supposed. Well, why? Because of, this, because of this, stable, this stable ratio suggests that there's an interaction between the two. Huh. I don't follow that, but okay. 
I don't understand what, how exactly how you come to that conclusion, but that's that's what the uh, maybe they're just said. they're both so, stable but don't interact much. I don't know. Okay, Steve. So how long has uh, truth or fiction been rigged? Science or fiction. Science or fiction? What do you think? I, e- I email Bob the answers before... Uh, I'd do better if that was the case. <laughs> Steve, I have one more question for you before you close out the show. When you're arguing with your wife, do you, while she's coming up with her arguments, do you say quietly to yourself, the logical fallacy number three, <laughs> logical fallacy number seven? <laughs> Jay, I'm saying that to myself all the time when I'm talking oh, with God. everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Admitted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And on that note, <laughs> uh, underst- understanding how you know how the the mind misfires is very instructive. It's very helpful to to purge your own thinking of logical fallacies. And once you're familiar with the logical fallacies, you'll realize that people make them all the time. But uh, <laughs> yes, they do. But I have at least a modicum of social skills, so I'm not constantly pointing it out to (laughs) people. Now, you guys, you guys will get it full force. Uh, Oh, yeah. I don't have to pretend to have any social skills with you guys. (laughs) Oh, you you do a great job. Clearly. (laughs) I wanted to say one. Can I make a personal? Of course. Just thought I'd throw this out there. I'm sorry we're out of time. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about astronomy. We're talking about things. I just received in the mail the other day. Uh, the seven-disc DVD version of Carl Sagan's cool. Cosmos. Um, Excellent. I've been, been TiVoing it off of uh, public television. In, in 1980, I've only ever seen bits and pieces uh, of that of that show. I now have the luxury of being able to sit down and watch it from beginning to end. So over the course of the next weeks, as I learn some uh, tidbits, I might choose to share them here on the show with you all and... Uh, and Excellent. maybe get you all interested, and uh, hopefully you'll all be able to go out and uh, take a look at, at Cosmos again. Yeah. <laughs> be a little little example of Evan next week. You know, gentlemen, I find it very interesting when we consider light solarizing itself off of the other side of the sun, you see. Um I've actually watched every episode of Cosmos at least five or six times. It's an excellent, excellent, a landmark series. The thing I like about Cosmos, it really took a new format. Prior to that, and even since then, I mean, many documentaries, science documentaries still do this. There's basically a disembodied voice, you know, narrating in the background, and then they cut to different talking head scientists saying almost random bits of information and then they, some producer or editor strings it all together. The thing that was really different about Cosmos is that it was it was written. It was a story and Sagan was uh, a consistent narrator you know, and, and host and he really walked you through from beginning to end in a very um, prescribed way. You know, So it had a much better storytelling consistent, thorough feel to it than any other science documentary, really, that I've seen. It still stands out as just a tremendous, tremendous work. I can't wait to uh, to lose myself in it, and uh, I'll be. And again, I'll be. I'll, I'll be looking to share. I'll be looking to share some facts with you all in the weeks to come. It uh, it would be nice to have it, uh, have a, an updated sort of version of Cosmos. Here, I'll I'll channel in Carl Sagan. Yeah, that's that's all we have to do is channel Carl billions Sagan. Billions and billions of podcasts ago. <laughs> He never said he, that, by he the way. He never said I that, know, that's right. of course, yes, yes. <laughs> Never said billions and billions. My wet dream, by the way, is to do a Cosmo, Cosmos-esque series all about skepticism, scientific skepticism. Oh. You know, that would be awesome. 
It would Skeptos. be your mag- the magnum opus of skepticism. Skeptos. That yes. in- endure generations and generations. All right, we'll start writing it. Absolutely. Done. Yeah, let's do it. Let's write it. Actually, we're kind of doing it now with these podcasts. We don't, in a we don't way, have anything else to do, right? No. This is the ground. This is the groundwork. Okay, right. gentlemen. Thanks again. We we are now out of time. Rats. Thank you again for joining me tonight, guys. Well, thanks for. Thank you. It was, it was good being here. Evan, Bob, really Perry, good. Jay, very special rogues. It was a good episode. Good night, my good night, my friends. Until next week, this is your skeptic's guide to the universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is a production of the New England Skeptical Society. For information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at www.theness.com. You can send us questions, comments, and suggestions to podcast at thenest.com. Theorem is performed by Kenetto and is used with permission. Oh,